National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Eight years after Pope Francis published his encyclical Laudato Si, warning about the threats of climate change, the Holy Father has issued a new document on the environment, now warning that time is running out for the planet. This week on Register Radio, we talked to Register contributor Father Raymond D'Souza about Francis's vision for ecology. And then this week, the Holy Father officially opened the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops, better known to most of us as the Synod on Synodality at the Vatican. And the participants went right to work. Catholics are asking, what will the next weeks bring? We are joined by Register Senior Editor Jonathan Liedel with the latest. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Vice President and Editorial Director. Hey, Matthew. It's good to be with you. <laughs> what a week we've had. There have been a lot of events. Uh, one of those events was the release of Laudato Deum on Wednesday of this past week. It was October 4th, so the feast of St. Francis of Assisi, who we all know had the great care and love of God's creation. And so that's why the Pope decided to issue this document that day. And the Holy Father touted it as a second part of his 2015 encyclical Laudato Si. Before we welcome Father Raymond D'Souza on to talk about his analysis of this document, can you give us at least an, an overview of, uh, of maybe a, a highlights of what's in it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I think uh, you said something really important, and that is that he chose October 4th of the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi to promulgate this new exhortation. It's not an encyclical, so that's notable for two reasons. One, it doesn't have the same theological weight uh, as an encyclical letter does. Also, uh, it's significantly shorter than Laudato Si. As I recall, Laudato Si was somewhere in the neighborhood of 45,000 words, about, what, 90 pages or so. This is about... 7,500, 8,000 words, so you can read it in about half an hour. But uh, he packs in a lot of material in this in, in six chapters that run from the global climate crisis to what he refers to as a technocratic paradigm. Uh, he looks at the failure and weakness of international politics, especially what the phrase that he's been using quite a bit is that is multilateralism and its deficiencies. His uh, disappointment, too, with climate conferences uh, uh, and really looking forward to the climate conference coming up in Dubai that I think he wants to have a major role at. And then it takes about 61 paragraphs uh, in this uh, letter to get to what he calls spiritual motivations, where he goes back and anchors a lot of this in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. The best way, in some ways, to describe this uh, exhortation is that uh, I gave you Laudato Si eight years ago. You clearly didn't read it, so I'm trying again. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> let's see what Father Raymond D'Souza has to say about this. He is long, a longtime registered contributor, and he'll soon be in Rome to help with EWTN News's, well, EWTN's television coverage of the Synod on Synodality. Father Raymond, welcome. Welcome back to Register Radio. Good to be with you, Jeanette and Matthew. And uh, this is actually my 25th anniversary with the Register this month. So. 
Wow. Wonderful. Congratulations. You've yeah. been there longer than both <laughs> Matthew and me, but uh, you are continue to be such a strong presence. And, and obviously this week uh, you had something uh, important to say, I think, about this new papal uh, exhortation. Uh, you have written a piece called Laudate Deum, Pope Francis's Laudato Si companion piece on the environment, and you write that these two documents need to be read together. Why is that? Well, first of all, they have the same name. One is just the Italian version, and this time it's the Latin version of the, <laughs> basically the same title. Uh, and Pope Francis in the summer, when he said this was coming, said it's meant to be a companion piece, and he says that in the document itself. But why it's so important is that Laudate Deum, released this week, is really a political document. It's a very unusual document. Um, I can't think of any papal document like it, because it's all in the categories of politics, of scientific analysis, of sociological and political analysis, um, and very specific, uh, you know, commentaries on recent climate conferences. It's not at all a theological or spiritual document. At the end, as Matthew mentioned, they've sprinkled a few biblical citations to sort of give it that feel, but it's not that kind of document. So that's very unusual. It's not a document you'd expect from the Holy See. It's not really a document you'd expect from a Catholic uh, social doctrine document. That's because I'm my speculation is that he thinks, I did that in Laudato Si. Laudato Si, as Matthew pointed out, much longer. It has a whole theology of creation. It has even a theology of man's role in creation. So this document is now political commentary and application. And if people only read it, they might wonder what's happened here, that uh, you know the Church is becoming just another NGO, which, as you know, Pope Francis said at the very beginning of his pontificate, it, it should never be. So that's why I stressed it's important that the two things go together, because on its own it doesn't strike you as a, as a as Catholic social doctrine, it strikes you as political analysis. Yeah, so Father, can we look at, uh, so we know it, how they're very different from each other, but how are they similar in a way? Because it, obviously Pope Francis sees this as a continuation of one to the other. Well, in the Catholic social doctrine tradition, what you have is, documents that lay out principles, and then the specific application that is left to people in the political sphere, usually lay people, obviously, to implement them, but at the level of principle. Laudato Si was like that, although there were a few particular applications that Pope Francis made then. But this time around, it's all about the application, and it's the analysis. There's a paragraphs where he talks about what the temperature is, what the temperature has been, where it's been sampled, uh, he engages in a scientific debate, highly unusual for a papal document, saying that people have a different view. Uh, it's not a legitimate view on scientific grounds. That's not usually what papal documents do. So here's the application. What makes it innovative, and innovative in a good way, if you like it, or innovative in a bad way, if you don't like it, is that this is the Pope entering very specifically into debates uh, over climate science, over the kinds of conferences that have been held about the climate and about specific uh, remedies, and also uh, countering arguments that he doesn't agree with. So all of that makes it very unusual. It's really the kind of thing that Catholic Catholics engaged in public life and in politics 
would apply the principles of Laudato Si. Here what we have is the Pope doing it himself, which is, as I say, quite an innovation. Absolutely. In fact, you mention in your column at the Register that can be found at ncregister.com that it's been nearly four 400 years uh, since uh, <laughs> since the Galileo affair that uh, that the church has really weighed that heavily into scientific matters. That's quite a big deal. Well, One in fact, my... it's actually because of the Galileo affair. I seem to recall that didn't turn out all that as, well. Uh, <laughs> that, okay, we're not going to get into specific science. In this case, you know, what the temperature should be or what it is, what the consequences of it are. Uh, the ba- the key issue in the Galileo affair was how does biblical revelation relate to natural sciences? And to, to simplify it, the the resolution of that was is that biblical revelation is not meant to tell us exactly about astronomy. There are some people, including the late Cardinal Pell, who used to say that on scientific matters like climate. Uh, climate change, that he would say we have to be careful that it's not another Galileo affair, that we make scientific pronouncements that are beyond our competence. Uh, so that's, it hasn't been done for a long time, and um, I presume that in the discussion over Laudate Deum, uh, this week's document, that that was raised, and the Pope thought that, the, I mean, he feels very, it's a very impassioned letter, and I think he thought that the uh, the, the stakes are so high, and uh, that it justified or even required this uh, unusual intervention. What was so, it that uh, Cardinal Baronius said at one point, the great church historian, that the Bible teaches us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go? Yeah, I think that's actually from St. Augustine, but I think Baronius was the one who, in the 16th century, brought it to uh, brought it to attention. But anyway, it was forgotten in the early 17th century when Galileo was being discussed. <laughs> So one of the things that this is te- this is this document is actually uh, talking about in, in kind of in the very very specific way you were mentioning that it's it's kind of making very specific suggestions about where we need to go globally uh, and and things like transitioning towards uh, clean energy the abandonment of fossil fuels like these are um, this is a you write a magisterial declaration in this piece and and so. That is not, um, that's not very common. Um, what, what are we to, to do with this? You know, what, I, I guess, what do Catholics, how do Catholics respond to this? And, and maybe, you know, who is the Holy Father speaking to here? Who does he expect to respond? Well, it's, it's very interesting. I'll start with the last part. I mean, it's clearly aimed at governments, because only governments can make, you know, global climate uh, agreements. Uh, it's largely aimed at governments in Europe and North America, the United States uh, being the largest country there, so primarily the United States. There's a very interesting line, just two lines at the very end of it, where uh, the Pope sort of gives China a pass. Uh, China is the largest emitter of greenhouse gases now in the world, more than uh, Europe and North America combined. And he says, well, you know, by the way, China still has a low per capita, so even though it's the largest emitter, he points the finger at the United States instead. So that's that's getting very specific. That's who he's speaking to about these climate agreements. Um, but there's some things there that, uh, Jeanette, you point out, is how do we interpret it? Because he says that we have to abandon fossil fuels. Now, he doesn't give a timeline for that. Fossil fuels produce 80% of the world's energy, 80%. So... 
if that is to be abandoned, it, at some point, does it become immoral to use fossil fuels? He certainly doesn't say that. But if you should abandon them, then there's a, at least an implied kind of moral judgment there. Um, and so we have to study what do these mean. This is a new kind of document. Uh, the Holy Father, in his comments on, for example, owning nuclear weapons, on his comments on armaments, he has said things that are that don't fall neatly into categories of moral judgment. So the, t- the document is called an exhortation. Clearly you could read it in an exhortatory fashion, but exhortations are also used to, for example, teach doctrine or to teach morals. For example, Amoris Laetitia was an apostolic exhortation. The one in the Amazon clarified the question of discipline on celibacy and on married uh, priests or the possibility of it in a negative way. So exhortations are are weighty documents, they're not encyclicals, and that's going to be something. If the, if the Pope says in this document, which he does, fossil fuels must be abandoned, and they account for 80% of the world's energy, uh, what does that mean? Does that, is, that have a, is that a doctrinal or moral statement? Is it a statement of political encouragement? Um, that, those are not clarified. Mm-hmm. I, as, as I mentioned in brief in the column that you referred to, uh, John Paul II gave his analysis of the end of the Cold War in Centesimus Annus, an encyclical, but he said, look, this is my interpretation. It's not magisterium, it's my interpretation. There's no such clarifying language in uh, Laudate Deum, but um, it raises interesting questions, and I think what you'll see is that uh, people who are in political sympathy with the goals of Laudate Deum will find it very encouraging. Others, I think, might um, you know, not be so encouraged or raise questions. Uh, another question, really, is it came in a very, very busy news week. It did. The, uh, I mean, the Holy Father chose his patron saint, or his papal patron saint, St. Francis, to release it. Uh, but, you know, even in the register, and we, I thought we gave it good coverage, it wasn't as much coverage as it might have got, given that we had the opening of the Synod, we had the dispute with the Cardinals. We had a lot of things going on uh, this week, so it may not get the attention uh, that it otherwise would have. But there's a lot of questions to be asked there about what does it mean when the Pope teaches about what your fuel energy policy should be. Absolutely. I think that it, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying and you know, why drop it now when it's <laughs> when it's going to get a little bit lost in the in the cycle of news. I have a feeling it might come come up again next month, uh and, and be a, a further part of, of discussion when the United Nations uh climate change conference takes place. Um, right. and it, it'll get teased out. We were a little surprised at the register and CNA when we were looking for responses today um, or, or, or this week uh, to, to, to try to see how global leaders were responding to this um, document, and we couldn't find much. <laughs> we found a few cardinals, a few bishops who were welcoming it or, or you know, saying, of course, we're going to take this as our you know, as some marching orders, but, but yes, we've, we haven't seen much response yet, but I do expect that, um, by next month's, uh, climate change meeting, there'll probably be a lot more to say, but Father Raymond, always grateful for your analysis, um, for your following of these issues, and we look forward to your synod coverage as well. Great. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you, Matthew. Again, go to ncregister.com and find Father Raymond D'Souza's Laudate Deum, Pope Francis's Laudate Si Companion Peace on the Environment. 
and stay tuned for more. We are on Register Radio on EWTN, and when we come back, Jonathan Liedel will give us the latest on the Synod. There's more when we return. If you need your news on the go, read the Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, with my co-host Matthew Bunsen. It was a very busy week for Pope Francis in at the Vatican this week, as we talked about in the first segment. Uh, he created 21 new cardinals. Uh, that was last weekend. He confronted uh, a dubia by five cardinals uh, on Monday, and then on Wednesday he issued his new apostolic exhortation on the environment, which we just discussed. So there's been so much uh, to watch coming from the Vatican. Uh, we'll be talking here about a few of those things. The Synod on Synodality is uh, on our minds as editors, and we're happy uh, to be joined by Jonathan Liedel, uh, Register Senior Editor, who is in Rome now. Welcome, Jonathan. Great to be with you, Jeanette and Matthew. So it's kind of been a, a whirlwind this week for you, as it is for us who are, are receiving your copy here uh, uh, in the United States. But tell us what has what has happened this week uh, with the Synod? Well, that's that's right, Jeanette. So much going on, of course, but the, the Synod on Synodality, a focal point, and it is underway in Rome. So really, at this point, we've completed uh, what can be thought of as maybe the opening phase, the first of five phases in this Synodal Assembly, uh, which is going to continue on until October 29th. Uh, so just to kind of walk us through what's happened, on Wednesday, uh, the Synod officially began October 4th with Mass in St. Peter's Square. Pope Francis, uh, in his homily, really, he tried to encourage people who, who might have fears about this process um, to, to to let those go and to, to realize that this isn't um, a political process. It's not a par- parliamentary procedure. It's not a parliament. He's, he's used that line a lot. But it's a chance for uh, the truth to come together and discern. And then later on that afternoon, the actual proceedings uh, of, of the Synod began in Paul VI's audience hall. So Pope Francis and other leaders of the Synod uh, addressed the 450 or so participants. Uh, for example, Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, who is the Relator General, kind of the, the manager of uh, the Synod proceedings, he told those gathered that their task over the next month was to find a grammar of synodality for the present day. So how can the church journey together now in 2023 and beyond? Um, So then 
after that, the door is kind of closed and media, we haven't had as much access to what's been going on. But we do know uh, that up until October 7th, the focal point uh, for the Synod participants is is really kind of more uh, of some kind of bigger level questions and some procedural things. So really, first of all, getting everyone on the same page, uh, what is a synodal church? So what are the characteristic signs of a synodal church? Of course, this October assembly, it's been preceded by a diocesan phase, by a national phase, by a continental phase, going back to October 2021. So a lot of time is spent on talking about what did you experience during the synod in those stages? What can we see um, as integral elements of this synodality? Uh, and then how do we move forward, right? How do we begin to implement some of that uh, here over over the next few weeks? So that's where, where things have, have kind of led us to. Right. Really, uh, starting this next week, um, you know, they're using this text, Jeanette and Matthew, as you know, the Instrumentum Laboris, uh, the working document uh, that's kind of like the the scaffolding uh, of the Synod. And so next week, starting on Monday, uh, is when they get into um, some of those, uh, they, they look at the themes of communion, and then next week, participation, and then mission. So those are the priority issues. And that's where, um, I don't know, maybe some of the more challenging uh, questions or topics uh, that have come up throughout this whole process will be explored. The hot button issues. So this week they were asked to kind of consider um, what synodality means, what the journey has been so far, and then they'll start to progress into various topics. I do want to turn though to to the dubia (laughs) that I mentioned in the intro. That that was really big news this week. Uh, The register Mm -hmm. was among a few media outlets who covered it um, on Monday, including Associated Press, you know, had this material. And and so on Monday of this past week, five cardinals issued um, a release, their, their letter of questions to the Holy Father about various topics of concern to them. Uh, these are topics uh, related to uh, either the teachings coming from key Vatican officials or key cardinals or the Holy Father himself. Uh, And they were basically asking the Holy Father for a clarification. And these um, kind of procedures are called uh, dubia. It's basically doubts. Where cardinals give doubts, they expect a yes-no answer to questions. So very very brief, you know, overview of what they were, um, what the process is, but what did they, what were the questions they were asking and how were they responded to? Yeah. So they asked, as you pointed out, Jeanette, they asked five questions related, uh, to things like uh, the development of doctrine and can the church's doctrine, um, contradict itself, right? So at one point in time, can the church say something that contradicts what it's authoritatively taught previously? So that's a big theme. Then of course, you know, we get into some of the the social moral issues. So the question of can the church bless a same-sex union, which of course the church has said before that it can't. Um, and then other things like what's the authority of this synod? Um, you know, the, the question of the sacramental ordination of women, that's, that's been put to rest. So why is that still being talked about? Uh, and then a question related to confession, absolution, and whether you need to be re- repentant, right, to receive that sacramental grace. So a lot of, yeah, I mean, a lot of different issues, uh, Jeanette and Matthew, but I think it's it's really clear that that this is all, it's about the Synod, right? I mean, and the, the Cardinals were clear about that, right? They brought these questions up initially back in July, uh, and it was because exactly as you said, they said some highly placed prelates um, have been talking about these 
these issues, right, in the context of the synod, right, and they've been saying things that the cardinals said went against the church's longstanding, you know, established doctrine and discipline. So they weren't just, you know, the dubia, like you say, it's it's an opportunity for clarification on church teaching, but it wasn't just arbitrary, like, hey, you know, we were wondering, we wanted to clarify kind of this question, just we academically were thinking about it. Um, it, it was, it's, it's all about trying to get clarity before we go into this synodal process on, well, what, what is the foundation that we're working with? So, you know, the Cardinals asked these questions in the summer, they did get a response from the Pope. Uh, then they revised the questions because they, they felt the Pope didn't answer in a, in a clear enough yes or no way. When they didn't get an answer from him, they released them on Monday. So the beginning, you know, the week leading up to the start of the synod. So the timing very significant. And some of those figures like Cardinal Raymond Burke, um, you know, actually at a, uh, a, a conference um, earlier this week, uh, you know, he spoke about why he did this and he spoke about his motivations. And he said, look, I'm not attacking the Pope here. I, I do this out of love for the church. We need to be clear about things. And so, I, I, you know, I, my, my sense is we don't know, um, you know, everything that's being discussed inside Paul VI Hall. But Pope Francis, in his opening remarks, he kind of acknowledged that synods uh, in the past, right, the ones that have happened during his pontificate, there's always been outside uh, pressure, outside uh, media pressure, but that certain issues are highlighted. Um, you know, you think of the Amazonian Synod, uh, the Pan-Amazonian Synod in 2019, you know, the narrative uh, that emerged was, oh, well, we're out of this is going to come, uh, you know, married married priests, right? We're going get, to get rid of mandatory celibacy. Uh, and that didn't happen. And so I don't know if the Pope is directly responding to the dubia, but but he seemed to be responding to what the dubia was responding to. Those questions were right. that they were responding to, which is the confusion that has kind of surrounded um, synod on synodality leading up to it. Like, what is this about? Like, what can we trust uh, that, that can stay the same? And what are we really talking about changing here? So I think it will, you know, characterize it in, in discussions will definitely uh, be be in the backdrop to some extent. I think it's really interesting that you know one person this week who did kind of give some clarity uh, over expectations was uh, Cardinal Vic Cardinal Victor Fernandez, and of course he's a new cardinal, but he's also the head of the doctrine, uh, the, the Vatican's uh, doctrine office, so the DDF, the uh, the Dicastery for Doctrine of the Faith, and he basically says those who expect big changes. Uh, will will be disappointed uh, with the synod of bishops uh, that that the expectations are actually too high for these next thirty days, uh, and I think that's a very important context as we go forward and we see these things unfolded. So stay tuned to ncregister.com uh, slash synod where you can keep up with the synod uh, happenings. And Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, for more news analysis and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and I pray until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.